The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Good morning, church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel City Church, and it's my honor and privilege to share today's message with you. We're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, open your uh, Bible to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 5. If you're with us this morning and you're a guest, uh, or you simply forgot to bring a Bible with you, we have Bibles available uh, in the back. So if you just want to slip up your hand, we can pass a Bible to you. And uh, you can look in a Bible if you're looking on a phone or tablet, that's fine as well. Uh, if you would like a sermon sheet or a, a, a sheet to keep notes on, we have those as well. Uh, some of our uh, younger uh, attendees find those to be very helpful, so teenagers and, and such. So if you want one of those, you can just slip your hand up uh, to take notes as well. Oh, there we go. There we go, young at heart. There we go. That's fantastic. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, and uh, we have... One over here on this side. Let me get my reading glasses on. All right, Hebrews chapter 2. Continuing from last week, we're in verse 5. Ready? For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we pause to acknowledge you, the one true living God, the maker of heaven and earth, and to acknowledge Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, through whom we come to you in prayer. We pray that as we look to him this morning and we see him as the one who has conquered death, who's crowned with glory and honor, may you draw our hearts and our minds to him. Would you give us encouragement in our faith to draw closer to him and to look with eager expectation to the future that you have designed for us. Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and hearts to comprehend all that you would have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a few reminders. Oh, by the way, if you're a young child, I think everyone went to Sunday school already. But if you want to go to Sunday school and you're under the age of 10, you are welcome now at this point to go to Sunday school. Uh, I think everyone has departed already. 
Okay, so just by way of reminder, in the book of Hebrews, this is what we've been studying, and and today we're talking about expectations, and our expectations uh, are going to be fixated upon Jesus. The the series title for our study in Hebrews is The Supremacy of Jesus and Our Eager Expectation. And we see that in this verse, right? We, We see that in these verses, that Jesus is supreme, and we see something about our expectations. So the title of today's message is, What Do You Expect? What are you looking forward to? What are you expecting? Are your expectations the biblical expectations, or are they expectations that you are kind of making up on your own. I hope that through today's message, we are able to align our expectations for the coming kingdom and for the coming world to be in line with Scripture rather than our own imagination, but rather we submit to Scripture. By way of reminder, uh, I am teaching and preaching through the book of Hebrews as though the book of Hebrews is a sermon itself. I believe that this is a message that was delivered to Hebrew background, Jewish background Christians, uh, perhaps in around Rome. We don't know exactly where for sure, so this is speculation. I totally get that. Uh, But uh, some scholars have thrown that out as as a good possibility, and it makes sense. But it would seem that because of all of the, the Old Testament background involved in this, he's speaking to Jewish background believers, and so reminding them to stay fixated upon their Lord and Savior, Jesus. And we looked last week about how important it is to remain fixed upon our Lord and Savior because we were told last week in verse 4 of chapter 2 that we will not escape if we neglect a great salvation that we have in Christ. We come to verse 5, and these verses Uh, The lesson in these verses flow from the exhortation we received last week. You know, last week we were told not to drift, not to drift away from Jesus, but rather to fixate and tether ourselves closely to Jesus. And so this week we're going to see the supremacy of Jesus in what he has done. Jesus in this passage is counted as supreme because he is the one who triumphed over death. This, these five verses exhort us to eagerly expect that in Christ's exaltation, those who are found in him will fulfill God's design for their lives. God's design is for his people to rule over the world to come. In this passage, we're going to see three movements or in this message, we're going to see three movements about how this lesson unfolds. First, we're going to look at identifying what the problem is. There's a problem that we have that the, the sermon writer here has identified. He's going to present us with a solution, and then we're going to have to manage our expectations, right? So we're going to look at what's the problem. We're going to find the solution, and then we're going to manage our expectations. So... What's the problem? If we come to verse 5, we are told it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. So there's something in this passage, there's something in this message that the author of Hebrews is giving us, to, telling us to look forward to the world to come, and the world to come is not subject to angels. Angels are not going to rule 
over this world to come. In fact, it is God's people who will rule over this world to come. And in testifying to this, the author says this in verse 6, it's been testified somewhere. It's been testified somewhere. Now, the, the author of Hebrews is not ignorant of where this was testified. This, this entire letter is so uh, saturated with Old Testament allusions and Old Testament quotes, and uh, he's not just grasping at straw, saying, oh, I, maybe I've heard this somewhere. No, no, he knows exactly where this came from. This comes from Psalm 8. He's going to quote Psalm 8 here. And in quoting Psalm 8, he reminds us of this. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You see, Psalm 8 was one of the most popular psalms in the Hebrew Psalter. It celebrates the majesty of God and the dignity of human beings. Man and woman are created in the image of God, and, and this psalm is, is meditating upon that truth. Who is man that you would be mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Son of man here is not used as a messianic title, but rather it's used in a Hebrew style of uh, a poetry style called parallelism, where you see two things kind of repeated in, this, in two lines to emphasize the point. And the point is, why does God care about man and women, men and women, so much? Tom Schreiner has reminded us that in Psalm 8, it's a meditation on the creation account where human beings are made in the divine image and summoned to rule the world for God. That's the intention for our creation. God intended humans to rule the world. Humans, those who are his image bearers. And in ruling the world, that would include ruling over the angels. So, the Son of Man, as mentioned here, is not the messianic title. If you want the messianic title for Son of Man, you have to go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where in the vision it talks about one coming, the Ancient of Days, who is a Son of Man. And that's the title Jesus uses for himself quite often in the Gospels, being the Son of Man. But it's different than the Son of Man here. And yet, uh, we're going to see the author of Hebrews here begins to link those two together for us. But the first thing that the author of Hebrews wants us to see as he's identifying this problem is that, yes, image bearers, those created in the image of God, were created in order to rule, and that's one reason that, that God is so mindful of them. We, we've been made for a little while lower than the angels, and we're told you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet, meaning all mankind. And yet, as we look around, we see that no one is fulfilling the design in the way they were created, right? We are, at this moment, subordinate to all sorts of things. We're subordinate to sin. We're subordinate to death. We're subordinate to the angels. We are, uh, when sin entered into the world, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, Sin frustrated God's design, frustrated God's design for humans to rule over the entire world. Instead of the world uh, being fruitful 
and, and vegetation coming from the ground. No, God cursed the world because of sin, and now there is the struggle that humankind experiences. <coughs> Once again, Tom Schreiner says that the glory that was designed for human beings has not become a reality in human history. The glory that we were intended to receive has not become a reality. Instead, human history is now littered with the wreckage and destruction and death. It's a world gone mad. So, currently we do not see everything the way that it was intended when God created it. Death reigns. Chaos ensues. All you have to do is open up your favorite news app or turn on your favorite news channel and we're inundated with all of the chaos and the destruction and everything that would lead us to be depressed and discouraged and despairing of life. We do not see goodness ruling at this moment. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, if we're told that in putting everything in subjection to humans, we left, he left, God left nothing outside of his control. This is in verse 8. At present, we don't see this, so what's the solution? Well, verse 9 is the solution. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We look to him. He's the solution. Oh, we're a chapter and almost a half into the book of Hebrews, and even though we've talked about the Son of God, this is the first time the name of Jesus has been mentioned, right? Like uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we're told that long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2 tells us in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, and so we've seen the Son be mentioned, but Jesus' name has not yet been mentioned. We are told here, Jesus is going to be our solution. It's the first mention of Jesus in the letter. And Jesus was made a little while lower than the angels. Jesus, as the solution to the problem, is the one who becomes the substitute. Notice it says that, he was made lower than the angels, but now he's crowned with glory and honor. He's crowned with glory and honor. So how is it he goes, how is it Jesus goes from being made lower than the angels to being crowned with glory and honor? What's the reason? Well, the text tells us he's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering of death. There is something going on here that is important for us to understand. You see, the first man, Adam, was created and put in the garden. And he was created to rule and to reign, to till the ground and to subdue it and to manage everything, to rule over everything in, in God's place as the image bearer. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, Adam plunged all of mankind into sin. Sin rules, sin reigns because of the choice of Adam and Eve to sin. 
And yet we're told in the New Testament that there is the last Adam. And the last Adam is identified as Jesus. And just as the first Adam plunged humanity into sin and death, it is the last Adam who is going to plunge death, who is plunged into death for the sake of humanity. See, since sin entered into the world, what reigns is death. And the only way for mankind to be reestablished as the ruler of all things is mankind must defeat death. How do we defeat death? We defeat death in Christ. Christ defeated death. He is the solution. Human beings will only rule the world as God intended when they triumph over death. But Jesus being the only human who's ever reigned over death, we must reign over death by virtue of Christ. When we find ourselves in Christ, when we are united to him by faith, we become victorious through his death. Death no longer reigns over us. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Humanity will only share in this victory if they find themselves in Christ, in Jesus. He tasted death for everyone. This is the grace of God. What a beautiful picture. What grace. What love. Jesus, the Son of God, who is superior to the angels is crowned with glory and honor, not just because he's the Son of God, he's crowned with glory and honor because of what he did. It's so important for us to see that in the text. It's one thing for the Son of Man, the Son of God, to come and to just say, I'm king, bow down and worship me. But as Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus did not come and expect that everyone was just going to understand who he was. He did not consider equality with God something that humanity would be able to grasp. So being crowned with glory and honor is not tied to his identity as being the Son of God. No, being crowned with glory and honor is tied to what? His death. What Jesus did was subduing the one thing that reigns over all. Jesus came. He had to die. People ask the question, couldn't Jesus have done this some other way than, than death? No. Because death reigns. And as long as death reigns, we have no hope. It is only until death is defeated. And when was death defeated? When Jesus rose from the grave. Now he is crowned with glory and honor, so he becomes the solution, so we look to him. Verse 9, we see him. We see Jesus. So what's our expectation? If he's the solution, what should be our expectation? If the, if the title of our entire sermon series is the supremacy of Jesus and our eager expectation, what is it we ought to be expecting? We ought to expect this, that we will rule in the world to come with the exalted Jesus. 
the honored and the glorified Jesus, we will rule with him. That's our expectation. That's what we're looking to. We will rule with him. Not because anything that we have done, not because we're good or great or awesome, but because of what Jesus did. And when we are, we place our faith and trust in him and we turn to him and submit to him as our king and as our Lord, we find ourselves in him and we receive his gift. We can overcome death in him. Now, the author says that there's some things that we see and some things that we don't see. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And we know that he died, and we know that he's crowned with glory and honor, but we don't see him, we don't physically see him as being crowned with glory and honor at this moment. We trust it by faith. This is something we believe, that we trust. We base that upon the testimony that we talked about last week, right? That God has testified and confirmed this to be true with miracles and signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit giving gifts to the church is a testimony and a confirmation to this truth. The very message itself that has been delivered to us by eyewitnesses of his resurrection, specifically the apostles, verifies this truth. So we believe this and trust this because of the teaching that we've received but we don't see it yet. With our physical eyes, we don't see it yet. We find ourselves in this already not yet stage. Jesus has already defeated death, but yet we haven't seen it with our physical eyes. In theological terms, we talk about it being inaugurated, but not yet consummated. I mean, if you think back Several months ago, I forget exactly how long ago it was now, but Queen Elizabeth passed away. And when Queen Elizabeth passed away, everyone knew that her son, Prince Charles, was now king. And everyone acknowledged him as king, but yet he had not been crowned as king. There was a period of weeks and months before the inauguration there was a period of already and not yet. We're kind of in that stage in the kingdom of God. Jesus has defeated death. We know that he is king, and yet we're not physically seeing him. We're not physically in the kingdom yet. Right now, as we look around this world, our expectation is chaos. I mean, we just look around and, and everything is chaos and, and death rules, but our expectation ought to be that in this world to come, that the kingdom that Jesus is the king of, that nothing will be out of control, that there will be no chaos reigning because Jesus reigns. The one who made everything will rule, and we will rule with him. There will be nothing out of control. So we look to this all exalted Jesus, exalted Jesus, and we find encouragement in him. It's hard for us to fathom it's hard for us to imagine what life will be like when death is not threatening to us. I mean, just think about a few years ago, this pandemic that we experienced. There was fear. 
There was fear that gripped the world because we were afraid of a virus that brings death. We were terrified. And it wasn't just Malaysia. It was the whole world. I've never in my life seen anything like that. And I doubt any of us will ever see anything like it again, where countries shut their borders. Not only borders from country to country, but just even inside countries we had borders where you could not cross and you could not go. We were, we were locked inside our own homes. Why? I mean, part of it was prudence to help the virus not spread, but let's also be honest, some of it was fear because we did not know. We, we didn't know what would happen. And as we looked around, what was ruling was death. Death was reigning. Death became the ruler of all because we were fearful of death. Now, I am not suggesting here in anything that I'm saying that we ought to run out and just expose ourselves to anything that might bring our demise and lead us into death. I am not suggesting that we be foolish or foolhardy in our lives, but we ought to acknowledge the fact that right now our physical eyes do not see King Jesus ruling, but rather we see a world that is being ruled by death and fear of death. When we look to Jesus, the one who has triumphed over death, we see the one who has subdued death. And in order for us to reign with him in his coming kingdom, we will not live under the tyranny of death. Isn't that an amazing thought? There will be no more sicknesses. There will be no more viruses. There will be no more tears or sadness. Because the one who conquered death will rule. Death will not rule. We can't even fathom that, can we? We can't even imagine a world where we're not fearful of death. Oh, I look forward to that day. I can't wait to be a part of that kingdom where the reality of death is not hanging over our heads, but rather the freedom of life rules. Because of Jesus' triumph over death and his exaltation, we expect that we can fulfill God's design for creation. Chaos will be brought into order and the curse of sin will be reversed. So what do we do about our expectations? How do we live now? What, what did these original hearers do with this message that they received, right? I mean, these first century Jewish background Christians, they were not coming out of an epidemic. They were not coming out of a pandemic. They, they, they weren't living in the 21st century. They didn't have the same issues that we have. How, how did they hear this? What, what did they do about this? How did they apply this message to their lives? I have a few thoughts on how they might have done this. Number one, I think these are good points of application for us. Number one, they were not embarrassed by Jesus. They were not embarrassed by him. You know, we tend in our, in our world to be silent about our religious or spiritual beliefs because we don't want to upset anyone and we don't want to 
anyone to think poorly about us, so we just kind of keep our religious views to ourselves. I think those Hebrews, those Jewish background Christians who perhaps were in the city of Rome, were experiencing a similar temptation to kind of just live life the way that it was. Go back to their old ways. Go back to the old Jewish rituals and rites and practices and, and not make such a big deal about Jesus. Amen. Let's not make such a big deal about Jesus. Jesus, making a big deal about Jesus is just going to cause conflict for everyone. You know, the, the, the rulers, they're not, the, those, those emperors and the kings and all the, you know, they, they don't really like Jesus. Let's not make a big deal about Jesus. It's just going to make things difficult for us. The people who are going to the temple on a regular basis, you know, they don't think that Jesus rose from the grave. So let's not bring it up to them because we don't want to make them uncomfortable and we don't want to set ourselves apart from them. We want them to accept us. Let's not make a big deal about it. Well, from a message like this, if no one has ever conquered death, why in the world would we, would we be embarrassed about Jesus? Why would we want to keep him, why would we want to keep silent about him? Multiple times, not just in Malaysia, but in America or in Cambodia where we once served, Thailand, even other countries and places where travels have taken me. I hear this over and over and over. It is a common temptation for all believers to be tempted to be silent about our trust in Jesus embarrassment. So maybe somebody in your family has said, hey, it's fine that you're a Christian, but just don't take it too seriously. Don't be like one of those religious zealots, one of those crazy people who really believes it. It's fine to go to church, but don't really follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if we really believe that Jesus overcame death, why in the world will we be quiet about that? And how in the world can we not be excited about that? How in the world do we want to keep that silent? If His grace is sufficient to overcome anything and everything that would stand against us, that means His grace is sufficient enough to overcome any shame or embarrassment that we might experience in the workplace or in our neighborhoods or in our family when we make a big deal about Jesus who overcame sin and death. Application number two. We ought to make it a common practice to think about and to meditate on the world to come. Right? In verse 5, we're told it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's speaking about. So when we, as followers of Jesus, we ought to remind ourselves that everything that we see is not the way it will always be. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves, as many people around here would say. Preach the gospel to ourselves, but not just that Christ has 
has died for our sins and overcome the grave and we find hope in him. But particularly when it comes to the world to come, let's think about what we know to be true. There are some things that the scripture makes clear to us about what we should expect. The source of our hope, the source of our joy, the source of our comfort, the encouragement that we have in our souls. Let those things instruct us and guide us, remind ourselves about those things. You know, sometimes uh, we find ourselves on a journey, going someplace we've never gone before, and we're a little apprehensive, right? I don't want to miss a turn. How will I know when I'm there? And in some ways in our spiritual journey, we don't know where we're going, right? I mean, with our physical eyes, we don't know where we're going. We can't identify when we've been there. We don't always know when to turn right or when to turn left or you get to the roundabout and which direction do I go, particularly if it's more than just four, right? Hey, which way? 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock? You know, in Rambayu where we stay, we have one roundabout. It's got like 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock and 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. It's, it's not just... Three, six, nine, and twelve, right? Callie knows. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. When it comes to our faith, sometimes we don't know. But we fix our eyes on Jesus. We remind ourselves, we speak to ourselves about what we do know, what we do know about Jesus, what we do know about the world to come. Let's meditate on those things, remind ourselves about those things. So while we look forward, we don't have to look back. We don't have to look back at regrets. We don't have to look back and wallow in our sin. We don't have to look back and, and, and think about all the things that have happened in the past that are wrong. Rather, we can remind ourselves and embrace the future that, that Christ has ensured for us in the world to come. What are some things that we can remind ourselves of? Well, we know that in the world to come, we will have perfect communion with God. There will be nothing separating us in our relationship with God, because there will be no sin. In the absence of sin, there's nothing that will disrupt or frustrate that communion that we have with God. We can remind ourselves of that, oh, hallelujah, in a world where there is no sin. We know that we will have a glorified body, just as Jesus was pierced. He was beaten, bruised, and bloodied, nailed to a cross. He died and he was buried. When he rose again, he rose with a glorified body. He had scars that reminded him of, that reminded all of what he had been through, and yet there was something about his glorified body that made him unseeable to those who saw him. We think of Mary when she first saw him and she thought he was a gardener until he spoke and she recognized, oh, it's my master. We are promised a glorified body as well. Are we looking forward to the day when sin and sickness does not mar us? When we don't suffer from pain? We also know that in the world to come that we will have perfect, not only will we have perfect communion with, with God, but we will have perfect communion with the saints. 
all the saints that Christ has tasted death for, we will have communion with them. We will be together as one body in the coming kingdom, in the coming world, ruling together, and we will have perfect harmony. Oh, what a joy. We will have the dominion over creation with Christ that we were intended to have, and we will have an unending joy. Joy that cannot be robbed by sin, or death, or conflict, or chaos. We will have an unending joy. We can't imagine that, and if we could, it would blow our minds. Oh, oh, that we would experience this kingdom to come. We can remind ourselves of these truths. So let's not be embarrassed by Jesus. Let's make it a common practice to preach to ourselves about the world to come. Third, let's train ourselves to trust God while not expecting him to work according to our plans. In Christ, we see the Son of God, the King of all kings, coming to establish his kingdom by death. To overcome all things by death. That's not how we normally think about overcoming, right? Our concept of overcoming is kind of like Putin, right? He wants to overcome and reestablish his kingdom, the Russian kingdom, and so what does he do? He invades Ukraine. He wants to establish strength over Ukraine by overpowering Ukraine. But Jesus did not come to establish his kingdom by overpowering with violence. No, he came, humbled himself, and died in order to overcome death. He does not work according to our plans. We need to train ourselves to trust God and expect him not to work according to our plans. He is going to do things in us, through us, and for us that we do not expect, that we do not foresee, that we cannot plan for. We simply surrender to him, submit to him, and follow him with faith. Jesus' death was unexpected because he claimed to be God. How in the world would God submit himself to death? And yet he teaches us that suffering is the way of exaltation. He was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. He is exalted because he was humbled. For you and for me, often the way up is the way down. That makes no sense to a world that is ruled by death and sin and chaos. The way up is the way down. How do you explain that? Apart from Jesus, cannot. Finally, the fourth application that we can walk away from today is knowing that death will not have dominion over us. If Christ has defeated death, if we believe that, and if we are in Christ by faith, we know that all things are subject to Christ, then 
death is subject to Christ. And if death is subject to Christ, then we are free from the fear of death. The fear of death should not rule over us. We have a wonderful message to proclaim. The death is not to be feared. John Chrysostom. Chrysostom isn't his real name. It's kind of a nickname. It means golden tongue. He was the archbishop of Constantinople in the 4th century. And in a sermon on this passage, he said, He who fears death is a slave and submits to all things rather than die. Or this, all men were slaves of death and were held under his power because he had not yet been done away. Or that men lived in continual fear, ever expecting that they should die and being afraid of death. These men could have no sense of pleasure while this fear was present with them. Brothers and sisters, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. As we will be told several chapters ahead, chapter 12, that we are to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Brothers and sisters, look to Jesus. Embrace him. Love him. Don't be embarrassed by him. He has overcome the greatest enemy that we have. And when we are in him, we are conquerors as well. Let's rejoice in this truth today. Let's respond to him and let's live life knowing death is defeated. Christ reigns. Let's pray. Father, may you stir up in us a holy joy and zeal to live for you and to exalt Christ as the one who has overcome sin and death. May we rejoice at these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.